Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. For this week, uh, taking it back, uh, I met Nathan back in college our freshman year where I saw his entrepreneurial skills in action because I used to order tacos from he and his friend's company, Azul Bison. Nathan Jones IV is a Morehouse man, but he would come up to Howard uh, to develop and grow his expertise in business. So it was a joy now, later, to come and interview him after his uh, time in business school at the University of Texas at Austin. And I was thankful that Nathan was able to uh, to catch up with us on his morning walk. So you might hear some birds in the background. Uh, but he just goes into the things that he's learned uh, building a community in Atlanta for entrepreneurs where he and Micro Village Fund provides micro loans to businesses. So he talks about some of these investments. But he also compares his experiences in the Bay in Atlanta, in Austin, in Dallas, in New York. So we get a comprehensive look, in his view, of the local startup scene in the United States. And I know you'll enjoy his insights into how he thinks about the future of tech. This is good. This I is mean, good. I'm interested to see how I answer, yeah, I'm interested to see how I answer some of these questions in retrospect. <laughs> okay, okay. So first of all, just yeah. tell us where you grew up, man. Tell us where you grew up. Yeah, so I grew up in DeSoto, Texas, which is maybe about 15 minutes south of downtown Dallas. Okay. So a town that's normally known for sports, um, and that's about it. So uh, a few examples there. Uh, Like when I was maybe in the 11th grade, they replaced our library with a Nike store. Uh, (laughs) When I was, I don't know, maybe like, I mean, I don't know, it was this 10th grade maybe, my English professor got into a you know, straight up brawl with one of the dudes in my school. So we were like, you know, didn't have an English professor for like all of 10th grade and half 11th grade. Um, just to give like context to like the area. It was like in the middle of the Dougie movement when I was kind of growing up there. So like we had a lot of different like cultural influences that were happening to like South Dallas, Oak Cliff, like all the South Dallas swag stuff, all that stuff was kind of happening around the same time. So it was like, so it was like a very middle class, like black neighborhood uh, by the numbers, but kind of underneath the hood, it was like some interesting, like cultural influences that were happening. It made it an interesting place to grow up. Okay. So tell us about the tech background that you have a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, tech, you know, I don't think I've ever formally been like a tech person. Like I took one computer science class when I was in undergrad and didn't do that well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, my freshman year, as you may know, uh, a good buddy of mine, Hakeem Mumford, and I started this business called Azul Bison. Yeah. And I guess that was the first beginning of like some type of tech feel. So like we had a little platform that you could log on to and, you know, put in your room number or whatever. If you want to get yeah. some tacos delivered to your to your crib, the dude name is a developer that everyone used to joke and call it Mr. Pokemon. Just mad funny, <laughs> but that that was kind of the beginning of like the beginning days of Twitter and trying to figure out how to market online and like making sure a product is functional and that there's a community built around something. Uh, so that was definitely the beginning, and then from there, uh, did a lot of finance stuff, and then obviously started Village, um, which felt more community organizing than tech, but there was a the backbone of everything was technology. Um, 
But yeah, I think that's kind of like the, okay. and then now kind of into the VC space, um, but not formally trained as like a technologist, if you will. Okay, so what is Micro Village Fund and where did that idea come from? Yeah, uh, so Village is um, my baby, of course, but like, you know, the, the whole concept behind Village is like uh, trying to prove that low-income neighborhoods across the country can self-direct their own development. So uh, what we kind of saw in Atlanta um, was that unless you had like a big kind of major infrastructure project, like the Beltline or the new Falcon Stadium or whatever, there was kind of no reason for people to pay attention to lower income neighborhoods, regardless of whether they thought there was an opportunity there or not, because people didn't really have a reason to, nor did they kind of understand how to think about risk or traditional kind of investing, you know, terms and parameters in those neighborhoods. Um, so we kind of started, I mean, it's a long journey, but, uh, you know, it kind of all started off from my experience in Dallas. Uh, so my mom is an attorney and she worked in North Dallas, you know, maybe from the time I was like a teenager or so. Uh, and, my, and like we lived in far South Dallas. So I would always drive from South Dallas to North Dallas and kind of just see the difference between, you know, why even as simple as why kids were playing in the streets in North Dallas and people in South Dallas weren't playing in the streets or, you know, why they had a Chipotle in North Dallas and we didn't have that on the south side, you know, all the way down to like, I was, I was dating this girl um, in maybe the 11th grade and she went to this super nice boarding school in North Dallas and she was taking a math that was, you know, two maths above what I was going to take at the time, even though I was in advanced classes in public school. So I didn't really understand why all those things were connected, um, but Village was kind of a way for me to kind of express some of those thoughts and curiosities in a way and bring it into investing so um you know it, it's obviously had a big journey but i think the overall vision of what the org is about is still very much rooted in like investing in small businesses creating wealth for uh people of color in their neighborhoods okay, okay. And so what forward. is yeah. the actual technical solution uh for micro village fund like uh, a lot of people have money they try to put it in the hands of people who can use it wisely, but what, what's sort of your technical solution? Yeah, uh, so kind of one part is training. So we saw that there were entrepreneurs that had ideas and people that had already started businesses, but we assumed that they didn't have access to the best kind of professional, you know, business education or whatever, as, or as much as we could do at the time. Uh, so there's kind of a 10 to 12 week training program that kind of helps us certify, if you will, that these businesses are interesting or, you know, they have an opportunity that you can invest in that isn't just like, oh, you put money into a business, but it has kind of a plan uh, to get used. Uh, and then second is a debt and equity-based crowdfunding platform, uh, which is operates as any crowdfunding site, like a GoFundMe, if you will. The only difference is those certified businesses that have come through the program get profiles on there. Uh, and then you can put your money to uh, invest in anything, you know, a, um, a new honeybee stand or um, let's say a, a new oven or whatever, you know. Um, and then we kind of what we do in the middle is basically kind of structure an investment, <clears throat> which is oftentimes a loan that's between seven and 15K. 
Got it. And are those yeah. terms market terms? Are they below market, above market? Uh, probably way below market. Uh, <laughs> so uh, the average interest on our stuff is anywhere between four and six percent. Six percent obviously being the highest on stuff. But you know, we have struggled with what risk means and like how do you quantify that in a percent. Um, and, you know, I think what's interesting about it is like, you know, from a, like a theoretical standpoint, you know, there's a formula for how you might, you know, a- arrive at like what the right, you know, risk is. But when you're kind of like the originator on the other side of it, it's more difficult to think about, um, particularly because, you know, on small loans like that, the difference between a percentage point is only $10, $15 or so. Right. So... It's like, okay, what is 10% signal to people that 4% doesn't, even though it's something very immaterial to your return at the end of the day? Got so it. I don't know. We've, we, we've struggled with what that means uh, or if that's even the correct way to think about risk. Um, nonetheless, I would assume they're way below market. That makes sense, man. Well, I think it's yeah. great what you're doing, providing you know, capital for liquidity strap businesses. And I'm guessing that these are businesses who are in some instances already operating. They're not necessarily like startup loans or sometimes they are, or how does that work? Yeah, maybe like 10% of the people are startup loans. Uh, Most people are already having a business and, you know, face, you know, just growth challenges that, that any business would face. It's just that these folks are smaller businesses so there's not as much access to capital. Uh, you know, from the other side, when you think about it, it's like a bank, JP Morgan, that has trillions of dollars in assets, you know, even though they can, might can get a six or 7% return with us, you know, they've got to move a trillion dollars. So <laughs> there's no, I mean, it's just um, volume and yeah. So a lot of things, but. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so now you mentioned that you're, you're kind of shifting to a new project. Uh, you're, you're heading into like a news chapter. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, you're more in the VC scene now, whereas you were like, you were helping companies and businesses, but now it seems like you're yeah. you invert that percentage to where it's maybe not 10% of startups, but 90% of startups, particularly tech startups. So tell us a little bit more about what you're doing now and what your plan is and what would be like a, a successful 12 month run for you now uh, after you finish school? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, spot on with stuff about Village versus versus VC. Um, so so the summer before I came to business school, I spent uh, three, three and a half months with uh, K-Port Capital in Oakland, which is a early stage venture fund, focuses on seed and series A across a number of areas, all kind of focused on impact oriented companies that have venture scale returns. Um, and then when I was in Austin here, uh, I worked with a fund called ATX Venture Partners for about a year, which uh, same stage, seed and series A, uh, but they're kind of focused solely on Texas with the core thesis that you know people from California and New York um, are gonna be moving to Austin in particular because it's a cheaper place to build. Uh, you still kind of get equivalent levels of tech and there's kind of like um, a lot of wealth building opportunities because the city's booming. So that's kind of their core thesis. Um, investing, 
Uh, wait, wait, so the question was like, has investing changed or what? I guess for you, like what, what's kind of, what's going to keep your attention for the next 12 months? Like at our uh, event, right. we have founders, we have angels, aspiring angels, VCs, creatives, artists, et cetera. What role do you see yourself playing in the tech ecosystem? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's particularly, I mean, it could be investing, but I don't think it's solely investing. I think uh, over the last maybe, you know, two years or so, I think I've realized that I, I enjoy investing and I enjoy kind of the, uh, the influence that you get to kind of have, you know, with companies that you have already invested in, but also like the, the power that you get to shift around, um, bringing new people to the table, putting people on the cap, t- uh, on the, on the cap table, uh, prioritizing voices inside of companies, um, so I really enjoy that aspect of it, but I think the role is like a little, I don't know, it's a little hands-off for me, right? Like I think most people, you know, after like at one of these like crossroads are either like people who want to do investing or like operating stuff. And I think I enjoy operating stuff a lot more. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is maybe is like playing with, you know, a new idea to maybe start up. Um, a lot of it is just supporting entrepreneurs that I'm, meeting currently in the tech ecosystem like I think what's cool about my past so far is like building something in Atlanta and then seeing Atlanta start to become more of like a tech powerhouse if you will and then being able to connect the dots from Oakland and Austin and New York uh, with different investors that are all kind of looking to create these little mini mini ecosystems and invest in these ecosystems across the country and I think uh, a great example of that was like Harlem Capital and what they did, right? I think they're a testament that, you know, large money managers are starting to realize that uh, the same types of ideas, the same types of bets, the same uh, pattern matching that, you know, most tradi- traditional VCs are kind of practicing now is leaving a lot of people out. Um, and those markets are becoming saturated. And um, market, you know, saturated markets aren't necessarily the best for outsize venture scale returns, if you will. Um, so I don't know, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot of strange stuff happening right now, bro. Like, you know, uh, I mean, I'm trying to explore my creative side a lot more. Um, obviously investing has always been a foundation of how I think through things. Um, but also, you know, I am enjoying a little bit of the last few months of business school where it's kind of like, uh, you can just kind of sit in the middle of all, all the things and just, Kind of soak it all in. So long, long-winded. It's not sure. really sure what'll happen, but sure. yeah, it prompted a lot of questions. I, I do want to just briefly touch on kind of your business school experience. Uh, let people know sort of where you are, what you've been up to, and how that plays into your larger focus. And has that shifted what you want to do, or has it simply made you more uh, potent in what you're already doing? Hmm. Uh, a little bit of both. You know, I think I left Village uh, to go to school because I didn't really understand enough about the next stage of our work. You know, we wanted to raise more money um, and do more impactful things than just microloans. There were a lot of entrepreneurs that we were working with in our, like, first cohort that were, you know, start opening up another location or, you know, one lady opened up a shared kitchen space and raised a ton of money to do it. And we were like, dang, well, when we kind of started started thinking about Village, we were thinking like- Here so far, you know, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. 
This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now back to the show. You know, we would be able to find those gyms inside of neighborhoods and follow them as they grow. But we didn't have enough cash for that. (laughs) Nor did I necessarily think about how to like value that correctly or like get involved with that. Um, So that was one of the big reasons why I went to business school. And I think in school, it's definitely made me far more potent about these things. Like, I mean, the the good thing about it is that, you know, on one end, you get to just kind of just read cases all day and discuss them with like really smart people. Uh, So you get a great perspective on all these different problems and protagonists and ways to attack problems and, you know, all these different things. Um, But also, um, it has shifted what I think I want to do a little bit though, right? Like, I think it's giving great context to like, um, like incentives and like why people want to work with each other. Um, So, I mean, I think a lot of like the core thesis behind Village and behind like, you know, impact investing is still there for me, Um, but it's, it's gotten a little hairier though. It's, Okay, so that that's a great answer, actually. And you brought up what I think is one of the the most important questions of our day is the question of ge- geography and location. Yeah. So, can you just talk a little bit about why you're making bets on Atlanta and Dallas and Austin and Houston, you know, compared to some of the larger markets, or how they work together? Yeah. How does you know the Bay and and New York and Los Angeles work with some of the smaller startup ecosystems? Yeah. Um... That's tough. Uh, Cause you know, the, the main, I mean, obviously all cities are like using technology as like an economic development strategy. Cause they think it can do the same thing, you know, in Austin as it did in San Francisco. Um, I think one city that did, I don't know, like Atlanta is trying to do the, you know, use that same strategy, but I don't think it makes as much sense. Cause um, I don't know, it's, there's something about the history of the city that is um, history or geography just like migration patterns and what people think are sexy, where I don't think you have that same level of like fight in SF as you do in Atlanta. Um, it's different. Maybe, you know, maybe equally as potent, but just very different, right? Um, but, you know, for me, uh, you know, I'm obviously from Dallas. Um, and, you know, Texas has always been a very special place in my heart. Um, and, uh, you know, I, as far as, you know, the tech ecosystem, it's, it's, it's very it's not very mature, you know, when you're in, you know, New York, you're in Boston, you're in San Francisco. I mean, there aren't as many people, not, you know, the diversity of ideas isn't, you know, as large. Um, Nonetheless, people are still working. So, I mean, for me, I think cities, the way I try to think about it is like, you know, what makes sense? Like, I don't think it necessarily makes sense to try to build, you know, a Facebook or, you know, a Snapchat in Austin or in any other city that can afford to, you know, put billions of dollars down, you know, customer acquisition, um, you know, just black holes, right? But, you know, in cities like Austin or Atlanta, I think you can focus on like regional specialties, right? I mean, like Atlanta is like the FinTech payment capital of maybe the world, right? I think like 75% of all transactions in the world go through Atlanta or process through Atlanta. And uh, you've got a ton of like Fortune 500 companies that have worked there, right? That all have needs, you know, innovations that they need to kind of innovate on. Um, 
all types of technologies that they need to kind of put into their supply chains and through their, you know, through the design of their entire companies. And I think that's a strong opportunity for companies to build there around those types of businesses. Um, so like, for example, in Austin, you know, people always criticize, you know, you know, Austin because there's a, they say they're only, you know, hidden to first base basically. Right. Um, so people will get to a company, you know, We'll get to a valuation of $20, $30 million and they'll try to sell it and not try to go raise, you know, a series B or whatever. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think trying to put San Francisco methodology in different cities works. Right. And I think from an investor standpoint or a founder standpoint, if you kind of recognize kind of one where the, the strategy, where the city's trying to take it, you know, what the ecosystem is kind of telling you and like what type of investors are there, um, you can build a really strong business. Um, you know, just, I guess what you call that is like city market fit, if you will. Tell us about New York. Yeah, I mean, NY, I mean, it's interesting, man. I don't know, like I haven't spent as much time like on the scene in NY. Nonetheless, I think people, I mean, maybe next, I mean, it's just, you got capital, right? So, I mean, I think with capital and like, I mean, if you think about like, um, scale in Austin we might have 12 to 15 funds all around 100 to 150 million dollars and in New York you probably have maybe 10 times that right so and then at different stages right so you know we have six or seven C stage funds you more in A and then it really peters out maybe one for later stage stuff and then you get to like leverage buyout land and in New York, you just have like the diversity of your kind of capital ladder is far larger, far more diverse. Um, so like when you run a $100 million fund, you might be cutting $5 million checks. When you run a billion dollar fund, you've got to run, you know, 10 times that, right? Which helps you invest in different types of companies that are looking for different types of things. So for example, like when Casper moved to, to New York, right? I mean, I think that was a great testament that you can build a DT, uh, direct-to-consumer brand in a city like New York because you've got investors who got cash and can believe in finance your way to, you know, that, that type of growth that's very different from, you know, um, Zoom, for example, right? Just a different model. So, uh, I mean, New York's fine. I mean, like, you've got everything you need there, you know? Right. It's uh, you don't have to leave for anything, which is great. And okay, so speaking of which, uh, tell us this: if you had to, and you didn't have any other choice, and you had to be in New York, that's where you needed to be. How would you get connected to the local startup ecosystem? Uh, maybe like talk about what you would expect in the community there a little bit, uh, and then maybe also talk about if you were a startup in that city, how you could get to the point where you were reaching later stages of, of finance. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, if I were going straight to New York, I'd probably hit y'all up first <laughs> and just get to know people, you know? I mean, I think a lot of it is just like as much as, I mean, you're just investing in the spaces that are there, you know? So um, those are like the accelerators, the the meetups, the pop-ups, the, the you know, I, I think it's more fun. My bad, sorry about that. I think it's far more interesting to go to, uh, spaces like what y'all have curated so far, because I think the, the ideas are a little bit more organic. Um, 
people speak freely uh, about what their issues are. It's just, I mean, I think there's like a, I don't know, there's just a level of organicness, if you will, that you don't see when you try to go to traditional events like a, uh, like a 500 startups, you know, accelerator or something like that. Not that that's, you know, not good, um, but it just, I don't know, it feels a little different for me. Um, but, you know, I think first thing I would probably do is try to try to map all the places where people are congregating and talking about tech. If I were a founder, I would try to, or if I were an investor, I would try to maybe curate that for the spaces that I'm particularly interested in, uh, maybe sponsor a few of those things. Um, then, you know, from a founder, how I would, then how, you know, if you said for a founder, how do they reach some later stages of financing? Yeah, if, if you're a founder just starting off, or let's say that you, you haven't yet broken the seal on that $100,000 revenue mark, like right. how would you as an operator like counsel help or take a company from that point to where they have a you know a later stage financing round yeah yeah um a lot of different i mean i think a lot of it depends on you know the type of business uh, it is but you know what i always try to think about is like who cares about you know this thing that we're building um and start there you know if there are multiple different kind of um counterparties that benefit from you know, a product that you're building. Uh, I think uh, that's what makes it really interesting. And then, you know, you have all these kind of potential different stakeholders uh, that you can figure out how to get involved or bought into to your platform or your product or whatever. Um, you know, for me, I mean, it's, um, I mean, there are a lot of different things to think about in that problem there, right? But, you know, I think it kind of just starts with, you know, what market are you in? You know, who cares about what you're doing? And uh, where's competition? And like, how are y'all positioned relative to them? Um, I think once you start to, and I think from there, you can really drill down on like very specific, you know, things that you need, uh, either ask around capital or around relationships, connections, um, investing in branding or whatever it may be, right? I think uh, you kind of pick which, whichever spot of that of those things is the weakest and you kind of put the gas on it and see if anything breaks. Um, and if it does, and that's good. You mentioned that you're interested in moving into more of an operator's role. Uh, do you want to build, uh, do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? Um, I think it'd be fun, uh, but it would depend on what the space is. Um, you know, I think I am super, I would not want to build a billion dollar company in the impact space. Uh, I think equity and um, I mean, I don't know. I think building a billion dollar business and doing it in like a capitalist framework and also putting, you know, dipping that in impact um, are two very different things. Um, I wouldn't want to do that. Um, things I would want to build. I mean, like I would love to run like a direct to consumer brand. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, I'd love to, what I'm most interested in is just like, how do people um, build better relations amongst each other? You know, I think like Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, Snapchat, whatever, all the different social media platforms have kind of um, like broken off pieces of our personality that exist only in those spaces. And I don't think people um, really have place to like communicate with each other um, any type of way. So anything that kind of gets to that goal, I'm down to build. I mean, I've joked around with people talking about like 
that maybe be in a cafeteria space in like neighborhoods or like even with the quarantine con thing, right? Like how do people build more connections virtually? I'm down with all of those types of things. Um, let's see, I would also like to run like a really cool grocery store or something like that. Like, I'm a, there, I don't know, there are a few things that are really interesting, but all of it kind of centers around people though. Absolutely. I got one more question for us before yeah. we hop off. Are you invested in any startups right now? Like, are you invested in any companies that, like, where is your money right now, I guess, in terms of actual businesses? If that's the case, if not, that, that's fine. And if so, you know, uh, what company would you want to put your money in? Yeah. Um, so three that are all kind of village, village businesses and people that I met through village. Uh, so first is a business, which is actually our first loan. Uh, for Village, which is a company called, uh, well, it started off as Westview Pizza Cafe, is now Marty Share Kitchen Space. So they're basically a shared kitchen space in Atlanta. They're like all these cottage industry chefs that are in low-ish income neighborhoods, lady who makes the kale salad, lady who has the, you know, fire, whatever, that she sells, whatever. Uh, a lot of times those people don't have like serve safe licenses or like places to um, cook their food and like uh, facility that's up to code so she does that she's crushing it doing a great job uh, there's a honeybee company that we invested in uh, which is attempting to supply more um, what do you call this honey to the Atlanta Falcon Stadium uh, a very spirited entrepreneur uh, <laughs> uh, there's a company called ground floor which didn't go through village um, but does very similar stuff they were um, they do debt-based uh, real estate, like renovation loans. So uh, entrepreneurs, well, I don't know, house flippers, right? There's always that like mezzanine capital, all the stuff that you don't have that you're trying to raise from hard money people. They essentially take out the hard money stuff with crowdfunding. Um, that's really cool. Um, and let's see, what else? Uh, that's it. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm appreciated our time. I kind of want to keep going as we keep like this kind of hey, because who knows where your head is going to be after you like graduate and get moving and going. But like you said, when you're ever in New York, you know, you have family up here. Hey, I will I definitely take care of you. <laughs> going, man. Yeah, man. Well, we'll have to keep this up for uh, we have to do another one of these. Man. Absolutely, just, man. And, and I, I, I got questions to ask you. Well, look, I got questions to ask you, bro. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it, man. Let's get it. Hey, hey, bet, bet, bet. All right, All right cool. Also, great job on the uh, quarantine con as well. That was a full hey. day affair, man. Hey, bro, I was not expecting a full day of spinning. They were like, yeah, just like spin like three or four songs in intermission. The first one, they were like, oh, yeah, we'll be back in 45 minutes. I was like, bruh. <laughs> We were inspired by, by DJ Envy. So, all right. Hey, brother. Exactly. <laughs> Take care, man. Thank you Back. again. All right, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. See you. All right. Peace. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.